0: Can have a seat. Hey, thanks so much. It's always interesting with scripture reading when you get these these names that are just not familiar to us, you know, like Yanes and Yambres sound a bit like a figure skating duo. Um, and if that's your name and you figure skate, I would love to meet you. That would be really cool if I just got that one right. And if that's your name and you don't, I apologize. OK. 2 Timothy. Grab your Bibles, turn them on. Let's head to 2 Timothy. It's the 6 p.m. Who knows what's going to happen? 2 Timothy. Um, I I am finding um, that in this season, it's very difficult to be fully present. God calls us to be a people who are faithfully present to him, faithfully present in our relationship to God, to ourselves, like faithfully present to ourselves. We're actually doing soul work and, and finding out what's going on inside of us and to other people. And in this extended, um, we, like it's, it's hard to find a word for what 2020 feels like, what our experience of it is. But I know that for me, it, it's becoming increasingly difficult to stay present And um, increasingly easy to numb out, to just find things to kind of escape the weirdness of the season, be that Netflix or working out or whatever whatever it is. And so what we want to do is just for a moment, come before the Lord and ask that he would help us to be fully present. What we believe is that this word is living and that it's active, that we don't as much read it as it reads us. And so we want to, as a people, ask God to do that, to say, God, would you, as I in humility place myself under the authority of your word, would you meet me? God longs to meet with you as we come to his word, as we sing his word, as we see his word celebrated through communion. He longs to meet with us. God the Spirit actually loves to open our eyes. He loves to meet with us through his word. He loves to show us the beauty of Christ. He loves to, even in our doubts, in our questions, in our insecurities, in our fears, to meet with us through his word. And so we just want to take a moment and ask him to do that. So if you would, let's pray together. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would do what you love to do, that you would read us as we come to your word. And, and we just say that in whatever way that we need to be met. I, I know that there are some of my friends who, who need hope and encouragement, who need to be reminded afresh this evening of Jesus in their place, that they are a dearly loved son or daughter, and I pray that you would bring encouragement. For those who feel content hiding in their sin, um, I pray that you would show them this evening, maybe for the first time, your hatred of sin. Not your hatred of them, but your hatred of the sin that separates us from you. And maybe for the first time this evening, they might respond in faith to the good news of Jesus in their place, in Jesus making all things new. In whatever way, in whatever way you want, whatever way you see fit, we say, God, would you meet with us through your word. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray these things. It's through you that we gather This evening. Amen. Well, hey, we're going to continue in this letter uh, of 2 Timothy. And if you're not familiar with the Bible or or maybe you've missed a few weeks, that's okay. Let me catch you up to where we are in this letter. Um, Paul, who is an apostle, he's a follower of Jesus, he's an apostle. He's writing a letter to this guy called Timothy. Timothy is his protege in faith. And Paul's writing this letter to encourage Timothy in the faith. Paul is in prison. And he is very well aware of the fact that he's not going to make it out of prison this time. So he's passing the torch to Timothy, and as Timothy faces difficult things himself, he's telling Timothy, Timothy, stay the course. Hang with it, stick with it, keep pressing on. Times are tough, but Jesus is worth it. Now, Timothy's a pastor, but this letter isn't just for pastors. And so Paul is, to all of us this evening, saying, stick with it times are difficult but Jesus is worth it. And so this text today even as you heard it read it's going to feel like it was written for exactly what we're facing in our cultural moment. And this is one of the things that I love about the Bible. This letter is written 2000 some odd years ago. It's written in a completely different language to a completely different p- uh, culture filled with completely different people and it is absolutely relevant to our cultural moment. So let's jump in and we're just gonna roll through these verses and mind them for all that God might have for us. So first, Paul wants us to see that, what life looks like in these precedented times. He begins 2 Timothy 3, in verse one, he says, understand this, Timothy, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. This is an interesting way to start. He's like, hey, Timothy, listen up, stuff's gonna be difficult. Oh man, the New Living Translation translates it this way. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. Now, we need to ask the question what are the last days? Because I'll I'll tell you what this isn't. This isn't the moment where we get our charts out and we fill them up and we plot out all the times where we're like, okay, now's the time where I get to figure out what these last times are and we're going to have some flaming horses up on the screens and we're going to figure out what do we do with Russia and China. And that's not what's going on here. When the Bible uses this phrase, last days, It's actually talking about all of the days between Jesus' ascension to the right hand of God the Father and his return to make all things new. All the days between when Jesus lived, died, rose from the dead and ascended to the right hand of God the Father and the day when he comes back to make all things new. So when Paul's writing to Timothy, those are last days. And when we're reading it this evening... These are the last days. These aren't a future time that we're supposed to look for. They are a right here, right now, these precedented days that we need to look for. Now, let me just show you two places. Don't take my word for it. Take God's word. The apostle Peter, who's a follower of Jesus, on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter two. So this is uh, after Jesus has died, risen from the dead, went to the right hand of God the Father. They're waiting for the promised Holy Spirit in Acts two The spirit falls on them. They begin to speak in different languages that they didn't know. They begin to speak in tongues. They're speaking languages that are uh, previously unknown to them. And there's people around them who hear that. And they're like, what in the world is going on? I think these guys might be three sheets to the wind. Peter stands up and he gives this sermon and he talks about exactly what's going on. And in that, he quotes from the prophet Joel and quotes this. In verse 17 of Acts 2, in the last days, it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. So Peter's saying, what you're experiencing right now has been prophesied by the prophet Joel that in the last days. So the last days, Acts 2, Pentecost. One more place. Hebrews 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days... Not like coming days, in these last days, present tense, the moment he was in, God has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So again, he's not telling us when he says these last days about some future event, some future time that would come. He's talking about the moment that they're in right now. The stuff Timothy was facing and the stuff we're facing. And it's important for us to remember, especially in 2020, I think, that the church has faced moments like these before. And that's why I say that these are precedented times. It's easy for us to think, man, 2020, it is unprecedented what we are walking through, but these are actually precedented times. We always, as the people of God, live in the tension between the difficulty of these last times and the victory that Christ is walking in that the world is not fully experiencing right now, but will fully experience when Christ comes back. So it's easy, again, for us to think, oh man, these times are unprecedented. They aren't, and Paul is actually showing us what life and what people will look like in these precedented times. So to prove to you that these are precedented times, Paul's gonna give us a list of 18 things that will mark people during these last days. Again, present tense, like right now and ongoing. Here's the list of 18 things, okay? Hang with me, we're gonna roll through them fast. I want you to think about does this mark people during these times? Verse 2 people will be lovers of self. They're going to be narcissistic people who only care about themselves and their own interests. They'll be lovers of money. They'll be materialistic, hoarding possessions. They'll be proud, people who love to draw attention to themselves and their own accomplishments. They're going to be arrogant, verse 2 says. They're going to have an inflated view of themselves. They'll be abusive. They'll be verbally hurtful and destructive towards other people. They're, they're going to be disobedient to parents. This is that one that you're like, hey, man, every, uh, every family worship time that we have at night, we're, just, we're throwing this verse up. Y'all kids are acting a fool, and Paul says, hey, don't do that, because that's what's going to mark evil people, right? He's, yes, he is talking about that. If you're a kid, you need to be obedient to your parents. But what he's, actually, what, he's, what he's talking about is actually something deeper. This is a rebellious spirit, a spirit that would be anti-authority. He continues on in verse 2 and says, During these last times, people are going to be ungrateful. Everything that they have, rather than being grateful for it, they're going to think that they deserve it. They're going to be unholy, indifferent to the things of Jesus. They're going to consider nothing sacred. They'll be heartless. Um, unable to empathize with others' pain. That's what he's getting at. Not able to enter into the pain of others like Jesus was. During these last times, people are going to be unappeasable. They're going to be unwilling to forgive. They're going to hold grudges. They'll be slanderous. They'll take what other people say, distort it, twist it, and use it against them. They'll be without self-control. They're going to be slaved to their own appetites. Brutal, meaning uh, no tenderness. They're going to be completely cruel. Not loving good. He, he, he's, uh, what he's getting after is that they're not going to appreciate moral beauty. They're going to celebrate what's evil and, and, and turn their noses up to what's good. Treacherous. This means that they're, they're going to betray friends by, um, uh, by breaking promises for their own advancement. Reckless, meaning they're, they're craving the admiration of other people to do anything that they can to get admiration for people. A couple more. Verse four, swollen with conceit, they'll be blind to the ugliness of being preoccupied with themselves rather than recognizing the beauty of seeing good in other people. Last one, 18th one, they'll be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God they'll find more satisfaction in physical pleasure than having the favor of God rest upon them. Now, all these 18 things can be summed up with three big categories. They'll be lovers of self, lovers of money, and lovers of pleasure. They'll be narcissistic, materialistic, and hedonistic. Where Jesus says in the great commandment, love God and love people, during these last times, these difficult times, these last days, people will love stuff and use people. So what Paul's making really clear here is what God has made clear throughout his entire word that the problem in our world is sin. The problem in our world is sin. It's not the wrong person being in office. It's it's not the it, it's it's not People having, it, it's sin. That's what he's going to say. At the root of everything, the problem is sin. Paul says it so clearly here. During these last days, present tense and ongoing, during these last days, sinful people who live corrupt lives will create difficult situations. But he's saying, Timothy, frontline church, don't be surprised by the moment that you're in. Sinful people who live corrupt, sinful lives will create difficult situations. Now, I I hesitate to even ask the question, but like, who do you think of as you hear this list? I'm sure there are people, there are moments, there are things that are coming up that you're like, man, I I know some folk who need to be in here right now, who need to hear this. They've been abusive. They've been hurtful. We think about people who need to hear this. We, We all have people and moments and things that we're thinking about when we hear this list and we're like, yes, these are difficult days. One of my favorite books in the world is uh, the short little books. I like, I like short books. Short little book called A Tale of Three Kings. In this book, Gene Edwards, he, he, um, he takes the life of King David, King Saul from the Old Testament, and Absalom, who is David's son. And he tells this incredible story. And um, in this story, he talks about David, who had been anointed king by God, but hadn't yet fully realized that anointing, meaning like he had been anointed king by God, but he wasn't actually king of a kingdom yet. Uh, King Saul, who God had said, I'm going to remove the kingdom from you and give it to David. um, That guy was doing everything that he could to hang on to power. Everything that he could to hoard power, to hoard control, to stamp out the life of David. He's, he's trying to kill David. And so Gene Edwards, as he's writing this book, he's, he's like having you think of these moments in your life where you can think of people who had been Saul-like in your life. And, and as you read it, what he wants you to do is to think about moments where you, like King David, have been oppressed and abused and taken advantage of like he had been by Saul. And then he, in this masterful and very difficult way, flips the script, and he shows you that actually we all are like Saul, that we have the spirit of Saul and the actions of Saul in us. We aren't quite as innocent as we might like to think. This is exactly what Paul's going to do as he makes a shift in this list, because there's actually 19 things that he names. He talks about 18 different things that make us like, I know people. Let's go get them, Paul. Get after them. And then he lists the 19th thing at the beginning of verse 5. He says, there are going to be people who have the appearance of godliness but deny its power. Paul's going to say that the problem isn't just out there. The problem isn't just some them that we think about. The problem is actually in here also. And not just in here in this room, in here like in our own souls. And so what this text is going to do is turn the mirror from making us think about other people who are marked by these 18 things. And it's going to turn it around, hold it up in front of our face and say, is your life marked by the appearance of godliness but denying its actual power? We need to camp out here as difficult as it is and ask some hard questions. Paul's saying that some of the times of difficulty that mark these precedented times in the last days will actually be be because people will have a form of religion but deny the power of God that could actually change them. People will participate in the Christian community. They'll come and do the right things and say the right things and go to the right events and pray the right prayers but oppose the power of the gospel to actually save, transform and to make them new. I think this looks a few different ways during our moment. One of them is what's been called cultural Christianity or bless your heart Christianity. This is like, hey man, I, I go to church because that's just what we do. We're good Christian folk. And my grandma went to church and my granddad went to church, my daddy went to church, and my mama went to church, and this is just what we do. And We get used to this just religious routine where we sit in here and it's the right thing that we do, but the reality is our heart is so far from God. We have no interest in the things of God. We have no interest in our inner life actually, our outer life, like actually reflecting our inner life. We want to kind of fake the funk, act like we got it all together while denying the fact that the power of the gospel, we're not actually letting change our own lives. This is what Paul's talking. These are the people Paul's talking to. Another way I think this looks in the church is this kind of, I am the way that I am Christianity. And it's like, hey, this is me. You got to just deal with the real me. I get angry sometimes. I fall off the handle sometimes. I coddle that pet sin Sometimes. It's just, it is who I am and you got to accept me the way that I am. What, what he's saying is that there are people who are content with a form of religion with, and deny the very power of the gospel that says that they can be changed and that God wants to change those people. If you're in here and you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, maybe you would say, man, like folk around me, they think I am, but I, I'm not. I just come because it's kind of the right thing to do. This might be the thing that's kept you away that's made you like, man, this this isn't true. People come in here and act the right way and say the right things, but I know there's no change in their life. Maybe it's that kind of hypocrisy that's kept you from Christianity. Let me show you how God feels about this. In Isaiah chapter one, he says in verses 14 to 17, to people who are content with a form of religiosity that didn't actually change them. God says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. You're just kind of doing the right thing, saying, saying the right thing. I'm sick of it, God's saying. When you spread forth your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hand, and here's why, your hands are full of blood wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your doings from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. God's saying, I don't want just merely outward actions, I want your heart. May we not be a people who settle for religiosity and deny the very power of the gospel to change us and so we need to stop and ask is that you we need to let the text be a mirror to our own souls and ask the question have i taken the appearance of godliness but rejected a changed heart that leads to a changed life Have I grown content with just settling for perceptions but lack substance? Am I content with looking the part enough to pass, but living with a heart that's disconnected from the externals? Am I pretending like I belong, but my heart's not really in it? Hey, if that's you, there's grace for you. Turn to Jesus. Paul's not giving us this list and then saying, hey, turn the mirror inside. Do you have the appearance of godliness but deny its power? Where you're like, yes, and Jesus is like, ah, I knew I got another one. Put another check on the box. I don't know, he's saying, hey, it's a weary, tiring, exhausting, impossible game to fake the funk. To try to manage everything around us so that the perception we get, give off, we can hide the reality that our hearts aren't actually new. They're not actually changed. That's a burden you are not meant to carry. And here's what Jesus says. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, carry heavy burdens, and I'll give you rest. And let me give a word of comfort. Paul is not here talking to people who love Jesus and who blow it big time. I think it would be really easy with this text to, be, to feel some sort of shame that man, there's parts of my life that like I just blow it big time and I, I love Jesus and I want to do the right thing and I don't seem to be able to because Paul himself writes in Romans 7. Here's why I know that he's not talking to you. Romans 7, he says, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I don't want to do is what I keep on doing. Paul is in 2 Timothy 3 talking to people who have no desire to actually change. People who are content using religion for personal gain but don't actually treasure Christ. To those of you who, like me, love Jesus and blow it big time sometimes, who so often your life feels like one step forward and two steps back, this is a word of encouragement from the same guy who wrote this letter, Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work and you will be faithful to complete it. You're gonna make it. What Jesus started in you, he will complete it. Where your grip on Jesus falters, his grip on you never will. What Paul is saying clearly in this text is that the church ought not be a place where you can hide, where you can fake the funk, where you can gain all of the benefits but not actually be a person who is pursuing Jesus. Listen, we we say it's okay to not be okay. You're busted up, you're broken, you love Jesus and blow it big time sometimes. It's okay to not be okay. That's not a surprise to Jesus and it's not a surprise to us. We're with you. It's just not okay to stay there. We don't wanna stay in this moment where we're like, I just, my heart, my life, my actions, none of it's gonna change. It's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay there. And look where Paul heads next. In verses six through nine, he kind of gives this example and he shows us that false teachers and false teaching are gonna be exposed. In verse six, he says, for among them, among these people who act this way in the church are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning, never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Yombrace opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far for their folly will be made plain to all, as was that of those two men. Paul's drawing us as he closes out this bit of his letter to the predatory nature of false teachers. Now, let me be careful. He is not saying that women are weak, right? He's not saying all women are weak. That's what's going on. There was something really specific that was happening in the church during this moment. And that was that these false teachers would take advantage of certain women struggling with things. And, and uh, that's what would happen. They would, he, they would lead them astray by telling them things that these women would have wanted to hear but were opposed to the gospel of Jesus. And so Paul's just putting them on blast. He's putting them on display saying this is exactly how it's playing itself out in the church and Timothy don't allow it to continue to happen. He's warning Timothy and he's warning us of the danger of false teaching. And he'd warn us of the same false teachers today. It's heavy, man. It's it's just that like there's no way around it. It's just a heavy text and it's a difficult text. But I love even how Paul closes this paragraph this line of thinking in verse 9 he says these these false teachers false teaching they won't get very far for their folly will be plain to all he's saying hey timothy jesus gets the final word not these false teachers i think it's easy for us to think man like false teaching is winning the day and people are running away from the church in droves and this is why i think it's so helpful for us to actually study church history because the church has faced these kind of things before and will face them again. There were all these councils at the beginning in the early church. You can read about them in the church fathers, but all all these councils where they got together to deal with false teaching. And you know what's continued on? The true gospel. The true gospel of Jesus in our place. Jesus come to make all things new. And so we need to be encouraged by the fact that false teachers and false teaching, while they will continue and they will last, they won't have the final say, Jesus gets that. So where do we go from here? We need to remember that the times we face are difficult, but they're not unprecedented. Jesus is with us through them. We need to, as a people, rally around the true gospel and the power of the gospel. We need to remember that the evil we face during these difficult times, that the evil we face out there and the evil we face in our own lives is exactly why Jesus came. That the perfect son of God looked at the evil in our world and looked at the evil in our hearts and read towards it rather than away from it that he came for us, he came to rescue us. And so we wanna be a people who with our mouths say and with our hearts believe that Jesus is both Christ and Lord. That say with our mouths and believe with our hearts, I want my life to be hidden in him. I want his life to count for mine. His death for my sin, his cross is my greatest hope. Who believe and confess that his resurrection is the greatest assurance of God's love for us, that God the Father is actually for us who want our lives to be conformed to his, not just in appearance, but in power. So hear Jesus's words of comfort and encouragement over you. In the world, you will have tribulation, trouble, difficulty, but take heart, I've overcome the world. So church, let's live with faith, hope, and love during these precedented times. Let's repent of where we've settled for the appearance only and neglected the power of the gospel to change us. Let's be discerning of the teachers we listen to, the teaching that we offer to others. Jesus, we thank you for the hope that you bring. That in the midst of of difficult trying times where it feels like evil is winning and where evil has the final say. That you remind us of the hope that you purchased on the cross. That you hold up a mirror to the evil in our own lives. And invite us to consider that question, have I settled for the appearance of of godliness, but reject the power of the gospel to change me. Jesus, we say collectively, we want to be changed. Day by day, we want your life to be formed in us and to be seen through us. I pray that you would make that to happen more and more. We thank you, Jesus, for the good news of your life for ours your death to bring us life. May we be a people who live in the reality of that power during these precedented evil times. It's in your name, Jesus. It's through you. It's because of you. It's for you that we pray. Amen.